1: Good afternoon and welcome, and happy St. Patrick's Day. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel, which we are convening remotely today to do our bit for social distancing. As you heard in Bob's news, the premier has called a state of emergency, which comes with a $300 million funding package to beef up health care. And the prime minister spoke Just minutes ago, I didn't really hear much new there. And the Premier made a very important point. This is not a a shutdown. Essential services, food stores and drug stores are open, and we are assured there are no shortages and supply chains are operating normally. Other retail continues to operate, though some are on reduced hours or working online only. So politicians of all stripes are saying they are in this together. They are working together are they moving quickly enough and doing everything to reassure us that they have the situation in hand? We'd like to hear from you. If you have concerns, comments, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And right now I'd like to welcome... John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor, current CEO of Variety Village, as well as Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hello, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, hi. Hi, Libby. Happy
2: St. Patrick's Day.
1: Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Now, uh, I'm assuming that uh, your work lives have changed in the last few days. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's right.
3: Yes, indeed. I'm, uh, I'm calling you from home, uh, Libby, and uh, I'm missing the, our interaction. Always good to be in studio when we were with, uh, with Karen and Charles. But, uh, uh, but, yeah, no, I think everything has changed for sure now.
1: Uh, yeah, I have to say I always look forward to uh, the four of us getting together here. It's lots of fun. Miss you guys, but this has to be done. Uh, Karen, what about your work situation? Has it changed? Oh, yeah, there's nothing about my work situation that has remained,
4: uh, has remained. period. We've closed the facility um, for an indefinite period because we don't actually know. We can't tell our membership when we can really reopen, given the state of emergency that's been declared. And uh, we've canceled all our programs, um, and we, quite frankly, don't know. We just don't know when we're going to be able to reopen,
1: That's which really is very
4: uh, unsettling for many staff um, and and our community members as well.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough, especially the kind of facility you are. I know, uh, I mean, this is going to sound trivial, my tennis club closed, and that was very upsetting for a lot of people whose uh, social lives uh, uh, center around it. It's, it's uh, you know, it's difficult. Uh, Charles Bird, Bird, what about you?
2: Well, our office is still open, but I'm the only person here. Um, uh, I've sent the rest of my staff home to work remotely. Um, I'm fond of saying that I can work from home. I just can't work from my home. I have two young children and uh, they are uh, rambunctious and uh, very demanding of their parents' time. Um, But I agree with Karen, it's a very unsettling time and downtown Toronto is a a bit of a ghost town and uh, as is is transit. And uh, so it's clear that people are taking the the current situation with the utmost seriousness and I suppose that's a good thing.
1: Well, uh, just uh, to add a note for us, we are down to essential staff is basically on air people and not all on air people, it people who are here to support us through this. I mean, that's one thing that when everyone is working from home, you know, internet connections are might not be exactly what we are used to. And uh, yet we have reception working. I mean, I keep pointing out for us, in addition to having a vital function of keeping our audiences informed, you know, people are being isolated at home now and we are their community. And I take that very seriously
2: yeah right. rightly so yeah. Um, yeah. Um, i would I would just say quickly, Libby, and I'd say this to all of your listeners that if they have a laptop or they have a home computer, um, there are a number of really easy to use uh video conferencing platforms like Zoom technology, for instance, um, that allow people to to have very intimate face to face conversations with zero risk. And we, we we're doing a lot of that at the moment. We're doing daily video conference calls where literally everyone's on the screen. And and it, it, it does have the effect of, of lessening the distance between us.
1: Okay, well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, yes, some of our audience is pretty computer savvy. Uh, a lot of people aren't and uh, the radio is there for them radio alone and and interesting uh, you're talking about this cuz we were talking to our IT people about Zoom and there everybody's on Zoom and that lessens the quality of Zoom as it does of your regular internet connection but it is most certainly better than nothing and um yeah i mean it's it's uh it's interesting these are you know what's that old saying desperate times call for desperate measures but no need to panic (laughs) yeah no need to panic okay so let's let's start with our politicians and uh, I, I was just listening to the prime minister, who was just on before we went to air. I did not hear really anything new. I'm, I'm wondering why did he come out of self isolation to repeat the things that he said? Is it because his original reviews was that he wasn't really doing that well from a leadership point of view? Uh, John, what's your take?
3: Yeah, I uh, I was watching that as well up until uh, we, we we joined the call here, and I think it just ended before the call started. Um, I was expecting, I think, a, a little bit more, to be honest. I think um, that uh, with the premier of of the largest province in Canada declaring a, a state of emergency and and you know and making some really bold and and tough decisions with respect to, you know, I think picking up on what Mayor Tory uh it did yesterday and his health officials with respect to shutting down restaurants or at least recommending strongly recommending the shutting down of, of restaurants and bars uh, and, and only opening them up to, to delivery and, and takeout, uh, I thought was a smart move, and, and timing-wise obviously a smart move, given the fact that today is St. Patrick's Day, and a lot of folks would have probably congregated in, in bars and whatnot, so I think that was a, a smart move, but the Premier, I think, going the extra step was was obviously needed and, and, and widely supported. I think that the Prime Minister, I think a lot of folks were expecting that the Prime Minister might have declared a bit more of an emergency sort of nationally, uh, and I think the only decision he made was with respect to national parks, uh, he did say that he was going to make further announcements tomorrow on some financial issues. It also talked about perhaps bringing parliament back for, for emergency, uh, uh, votes on, on a couple of things. And then even talked about dealing with tax issues and maybe extending when, when, um, individuals and businesses uh, have to file their taxes. But all those were all things that he said that he would be making announcements down the road. But look, having said that, I think, you know, we, we've got to be mindful of, of the fact that politicians are all running to catch up on this issue. It's a, it's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute um, evolving uh, crisis. And I think no politician in Libya wants to be caught not saying something or not being out there, uh, no, seeing that every politician is almost on a daily basis now making updates. And I think he needs to be out there making an announcement. Uh, and I think that's what it was. But, you know, I think, you know, people just need to know that when, when their prime minister does call for a press conference, everybody nowadays are, are, is looking at it. It's no, you know, they're, they're, it's everybody's on absolute attention on this thing. So, you know, you have to be careful and manage the expectation of those conferences when they
1: happen. Yeah, and uh, Karen, I'd like your take also. You know, I noticed at the end there were a couple of questions, and he seemed to get quite testy. Mm -hmm. Um, Karen, so what do you think of uh, how the Prime Minister has been handling this?
4: Well, I I think that, um, you know, in in terms of communicating that there is, uh, you know, we need to collectively do our part to do social distancing and creating that sense of awareness in the community about, um, you know, why things need, to close and flights need to change, you know, that part is, I think that communication has been good. I think uh, moving forward, um, the ripple effects of the shutdown of the economy uh, are real and are going to start being felt very acutely, very shortly. And so while everyone is going to continue to do their part, I think that um, the, I think there needs to be some, some more clarity and to be honest with you, some more honesty. Uh, with people about what this is going to mean and what the government's actually prepared to do. Because right now we're hearing a lot about support for people who have been quarantined or who uh, self-isolate um, and that there's going to be changes to EI. But what about all the people that are going to be laid off?
1: Okay. And that's you, real. And well,
4: we don't, we, because we don't know how long this is going to go on for and because they haven't given us any sense of, you know, when do the numbers of new cases going down or, or at, at what point do we declare success on this and then we can now resume our lives. And we don't know what that is, which creates another
1: level of uncertainty. Uh, yeah. Charles, uh, your take, please. Well,
2: um, I mean, the prime minister is like a lot of folks, which is cooped up at home in self-isolation with young children. So I'm not terribly surprised he's testy. Um, but the, the, the reality is our political leaders need to be out on this issue on a, a near daily basis. And, and frankly, I think the prime minister, the premiers, uh mayor have all done a, a pretty commendable job in the midst of a situation that is fraught with both complexity and uncertainty and karen's absolutely right i mean we are probably talking about a situation that is going to be with us for several months and in the absence of a vaccine there's also the very real possibility of a second or third wave of covid um, striking various populations, especially, um, when folks ultimately do go back to work full time, whatever that's going to look like. And it, you know, it, it, if we go, if we harken back a hundred years, it was actually the second wave of the Spanish flu that killed the majority of people, not the first wave. So that's something in the absence of a vaccine, which folks will have to take very seriously in terms of the options. It, you know, how do you, provide for someone who has lost their job and has no immediate prospects given that they're they could very well be confined to their house for weeks or months um, those are really really tricky public policy questions i know um, finance officials federally provincially at the municipal level are wrestling with those issues trying to come up with something that will will be a coordinated response because we are a federation um, of different levels of government. That adds another layer of complexity. There are a number of tools that can be used, um, but what we are seeing is a, a stated willingness on the part of our leaders to explore all the options and to come up with something that will not leave people unable to pay the rent or buy basic necessities.
1: You know, and it's, it's one thing to expand the eligibility for employment insurance, but not everybody is Eligible for it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be speaking to Mayor Tory after our chat here. And he brought up, you know, people who are designated as independent contractors. And there are a lot of them in the arts community and a lot of them who uh, work in the restaurant industry to make money. And now they are. SOL on both fronts. And what do you do with those people? You And, you know, you can expand EI, but if you're not eligible for EI in the first place, it has to be a different kind of measure. And, and uh, I heard the Premier being asked about it, and he sort of punted it over to the federal government because it's their jurisdiction.
2: Libby, my own view is that we may be talking about something that's been mused about by officials for, for decades, and which will essentially look like a basic income program. Where, where people are essentially paid by the government um, and assured a certain level of income uh, in, order to, in order to survive, in order to pay the rent, in order to keep the lights on. That may be where we end up.
1: Well, but it's also, uh, John Cabobianco. I mean, it depends how long this thing goes on. You know, employers are doing their best to pay employees who are self-isolating or whatever, but, you know, they don't have money coming in necessarily either.
3: No, and I think, and I think libby you know, and i think i I can't remember if which, which leader said this, but nothing's off the table um with respect to to anything that that you know that, that's coming around on this issue. I think obviously uh, the financial burden uh is something that a, a lot of Canadians, Ontarians, are going to give governments a lot of um, buy on with respect to obviously spending what they need to spend to try to get us through this. Um, we don't know when this is going to end. There's a lot of a lot of speculation with respect to you know. April, May, before the summer, but of course that's all speculation from, from not only health officials, but also from politicians. But I do think governments are going to be very creative, uh, and are going to try to sort of see what, what they can do for, for those who are independent contractors, um, you know, for those who are you know, hourly hourly working officials who are sent home and, and don't have particular benefits or plans uh, attached to their to their workplaces. These types of things are all on the table with respect to what they're going to be able to do, and it's going to be one of those that is going to be all three levels of government need to be coordinated on. And I'm glad to see, and certainly we've seen this certainly over the last number of days, but, but certainly over the last week or two that all three levels of government have been working uh, closely together with with respect to to this, because obviously uh, money does flow from the federal to the province to the municipality, uh, and, and all of them have to be coordinated in order to make this thing work.
1: Uh, Karen, I mean, I know you have employees to worry about. Uh, I do, and uh, I mean, not
4: just that, it, it's the imp- uncertainty, again, like, and I understand we're in a crisis and people are responding minute by minute, but at some point, the leadership at all three levels of government have to sit down and say, okay, when, 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 when have we peaked? When, when is it okay to resume normal activity that we're, we're not going to have normal activity for some time yet, but how, how are we going to, the way that we're going to get through this is by people seeing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and right now, and I understand might be too soon, but at some point, is it when we have no new cases for 14 days? Is, is that when we can say so that we can collectively understand how we resume? Because as these impacts get felt more severely and more acutely, which is going to happen very quickly. And if the, um, extension of not being able to go back to school continues i i don't know how we're going to recover from this to be candid and uh, all the goodwill and everything's off the table that's all fine and good but the government can't spend their way out of this economic situation if it continues as long as i as long as we we to, to, we don't actually even know how long it's going to continue
1: well we do, we don't know uh- Everybody, hold on. I'd like to take a couple of calls, but callers, you know, some some of the things I'm seeing on my screen, I want to give you an opportunity to talk, but I'm not sure that they are accurate. And I want to be very careful about people putting things out there because everybody is, uh, you know, there's a lot of misinformation. So I, I will go to Robert in North York. But yesterday, I read it, almost a statement from the chairman of Loblaws. Who said we will not raise our prices? And uh, other stores are saying the same thing. And Robert in North York, you're saying that that prices are, are being hiked, but I'm not sure that's true unless it's somebody trying to make a killing on eBay or something. Robert,
5: one of your own one of your own employees. Sorry, am I on?
1: You're on the air.
5: Sorry. One of your own employees in the early morning show pointed out that Chopper's Drug Mart, although he didn't name it by name, but I went to check, increased the price of the hand sanitizer. They tripled it last week. Grocery store around the corner for me was selling three cans of soup for $2 and up to two nineteen per can after the emergency. Now, they have... What to are these act- small
1: groceries? I'm just telling you that there was a statement put out yesterday uh, by... Galen Man, Weston, saying they're not going to raise prices in and Loblaws. And I think they're actually, I'm going to ask the panel, but I think there may actually be measures that, that the government can put in yes, against they that.
5: haven't done it yet. The federal government, the provincial government, the municipal government are going to enact legislation that will make it a crime, and both criminal and civil, so that if anybody's going to do this even the CEOs of Shoppers Drug Mart are going to be held criminally and liably uh, responsible I,
1: I don't I like mean I, I I don't think that Shoppers Drug Mart has has raised prices the beyond price of the hand sanitizer
5: one of your own employees pointed it out on the early morning show the grocery store around the corner for me tripled the price of canned Campbell's soup in one day I saw it myself They've got to enact legislation on price controls immediately. You you represent seniors; these people are
1: income. Okay, you're cutting out. Uh, He's cutting out. Um, Again, I'm not. You know, it might be a small grocery store. I did pay six ninety nine for a small thing of hand sanitizer on the weekend, but. you know, I still,
3: uh, Libby, I still can't seem to find hand sanitizers, but, um, and, and then I've gone to a few, uh, grocery stores around here, but I, you know, I, I gotta say though, and I'm not sure if it's isolated or, or if it's the grocery store that the caller was talking about is an independent, uh, sort of small, you know, corner grocery store versus a uh, shopper's drug mart, but, but Galen Weston, I think has been one of the most effective, um, you know, CEOs by way of messaging. Uh, with respect to not only Loblaw, but Shoppers Drug Mart over the last, I think, week or so, um, you know, basically, you know, on a regular basis, just letting not only employees, but, but shoppers and others know what he's trying to do. And he made it clear that he would, there would be no, uh, no price gouging. And, and, and I gotta believe that if it's happening, it's very isolated, uh, because neither the Prime Minister nor, nor the Premier or the Mayor Made any comments or have seen anything uh, that that would cause any cause of, of of concern? Because I think the minute they do, there's no question they would enact legislation and well, they, would, they would come down pretty heavily on whoever's doing right. it. But- yeah,
1: I th- I think we've also seen a, a, a lot of things on on social media, and most of them from the United States of people buying. There was that that. Couple in Vancouver that bought up a hundred thousand uh, dollars worth of, of cleaning supplies and sold them at a huge profit online. There was a case in Texas, and Texas shut it down, and they ended up donating those supplies. and And even you know the online sellers who are not overly on top of this stuff uh, decided to shut it down recently. So I think we might all be influenced by those early stories.
4: But I, I do. See- think that um, as this continues on, the supply chains will be disrupted legitimately, which will make it harder in some cases for goods to be stocked on the shelf. Well, and so not to, not to be alarmist, because again, everyone has been very clear, like you don't need to hoard, there's enough for everybody. Um, there's no need to panic. Um, I, and I can't imagine anybody needs to buy more toilet paper, for goodness sakes. That, exactly. I mean, like, uh, what is this toilet paper <laughs> been fetish? been on I toilet mean,
1: paper for weeks now. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, this doesn't cause diarrhea. But the supply chains, I mean, the, I, I would assume that's one of the reasons we're keeping the border open with the United States. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of our food from there. Uh, trucking is going normally. And I think Premier Ford was very adamant to make sure that that happened.
4: Yeah, and it, and it, to the best of everyone's ability, everyone's continuing to to do what they do, but again, it it gets a bit conflicted when you say you can't have more than 5 people in a social gathering, yet the business is going to continue as normal. But They not. say 50 here, yeah. not 5. And so it it it's it, it, it's it becomes difficult to know how how to carry on your business. And in my case, I can't carry it on. I that I have no business now. Well, um, until I... until until I get the the emergency order is lifted. And so it, those sorts of things are playing themselves out differently in different communities and different supply chains and different um, areas of the province. And again, because measures are being taken to respond to the health crisis, all of the other other offs haven't all been thought through because they're, they're the unintended consequences of making a decision. But, you know, as we get more into this, we'll understand better what they are and then we'll need to see some responses to it.
1: Okay, I'm going to take a call from Tom in Toronto, who is a truck driver. Hi, Tom. Hi there. You're on the air. Go ahead.
6: I want to point out the fact that everybody seems to be able to not take the truck driver into consideration in the supply chain. We're expected to go to work and still get it done, regardless of the circumstances. Everybody else is saying take precautions, but drivers have said, no, you still got to go and get it done. No matter what you encounter, uh, different suppliers and receivers and and destination docs, uh, that doesn't matter. You still got to put yourself in harm's way and go home to your family at the end of the day, regardless.
1: Have have you encountered anything that's worrying when you go to suppliers to pick up the stuff? I mean, I would have thought that there's uh, social distancing being practiced and lots of uh, disinfecting and all of that.
6: Nothing is, has changed at any of the places I stop at for for pickups or deliveries. Everything is still going on because nobody knows how to react to it because we still got to do the job and get it done.
1: And we but appreciate it. People,
6: people are saying stay at home and do your job from home. Well, drivers can't do that. And yeah. all the forms of government are, are guaranteeing to everybody that the supply chain is up and running without even any consultation with the truck driving industry.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm not sure that there is no consultation. I thought I heard something about that. Tom, thank you very much for your perspective and and thank you for your hard work because you're right. You guys are essential. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye, bye, Tom. Bye. Uh, any comment on that?
3: Yeah, Libya. It's, it's John. The, the, your, your callers sounded
2: remarkably like the premier. By the
1: way, he did I was going to say the same uh, thing? Doug, is that you? <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> does the premier have a side hustle going on? The wheel. <laughs> yeah,
4: he's delivering <laughs> but, labels.
3: But no. Having said that, I think I think that the caller obviously has something quite important to say, and and um, and, and also the fact that he's a truck driver and and one of the more essential workers um, uh, during this uh, this process because we need those truck drivers to. Uh, to help sort of send goods back and forth, and also because there's been a huge, you know, with respect to the blockades that happened a, a, a few weeks ago, um, truck drivers are even more important given the work that they're doing. So there's got to be some consideration there, and I think there has been and by way of, 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 of you know. The, the premiers and the leaders saying something, but I think like, like anybody else, they would have to practice and, and, and social distancing and just making sure that no matter what they're, they're doing and their companies that they're involved in are practicing those issues as well to make sure that the safety of their truck, truck drivers and also the people that they're dealing with remain paramount
2: and Libya, it's good to see that the governments really are focused on the viability of our supply chains, especially when it comes to essential goods, medical supplies, groceries, that sort of thing. And so far, so good. But if, if this situation lasts um, for a number of months as many people are beginning to think it will you know there probably are going to be shortages down the line um, hopefully they'll be isolated to certain commodities um, and won't be widespread but it, it's something that people need to be thinking about I mean that is the seriousness of this situation uh, the other great unknown is just what's happening in the United States, where anecdotally, there's a strong sense that they have a much bigger problem on their hands than maybe the case in Canada, although we'll probably know more in the next two to three weeks. But it, it really looks like there are uh, the, the near absence of testing to date in the United States could end up costing us very, very dearly, because what we're hearing from officials is that in terms of the eradication of the virus, you have to go after it. And that means testing, 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 which is something we're just hearing again and again and again. And the, the Americans are still ramping up in that regard. And
1: Well, exactly. Very they worrisome. Uh, Yeah. And uh, a lot of the blame for that is being put at the feet of the president. He seems to have smartened up in the last few days. Uh, John, do you think that uh, that will be lasting damage for Donald Trump?
3: Well, it could very well be. And I, and I think we, you know, we started off the program talking about our, our political leaders and and the work that they've been doing and, and, um, you know, obviously, I've mentioned this before, that they're all running to catch up to this issue, um, not least of which, of course, <laughs> the president of the United States, given the uh, the amount of, of cases that they're getting and, and the deaths, unfortunately, that they're seeing. But, you know, I think the, pri- the president has always gotten some, some criticism, and, and, and in some cases, quite rightly so, with respect to how he's been handling it in this whole don't worry about it, go out to bars and all this stuff. And And I think that his you know desire to make sure that there's calm out there kind of over outweighed um you know the advice he was getting from his health uh health officials in, in the u.s which has caused him some issues but he's obviously somebody who watches the market quite closely uh and also watches the polls and, and what's what's been said about him and i think the, the criticism and the heavy criticism that he's getting not only from the democrats but from his own party over the last little while i think has probably caused him to reflect and be a bit more uh, cautious of what he says and to take this a lot more seriously than he has been.
4: Yeah. And and on that, it's it there's, you know, two really conflicting messages, right? Is one is be calm, everything's gonna be okay if you do your part. But then in order to convince people to do their part, you have to convince them that there is a national imperative to do their part. Which means that they, they there has to be some element of, oh, I, I I do need to take this seriously, not that I need to panic, but I need to take this seriously enough that I'm going to alter my behavior um, in, 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 in an existential way. The reason that you convince people to do that is because you have to convince them that there is a threat, and it's difficult to do that, and then at the same time say, but be calm.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh- I have to wrap things up because uh, we're about to get on with the mayor, John Tory. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be talking again next Tuesday. And soon enough, I hope we'll all be back together. Thank you so much, Charles Bird, John Cabobianco, and Karen Stintz. Thanks, Libby. Okay.
0: Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.